0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team. It's great to be here this morning. My name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors at Alpine. It's nice to see Roger Staubach in the front uh, seats here. So I don't know how many, I think I'm looking at any 49er fans out there. I don't know, but there's a couple of you out there. He is so, John, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's later today. Not now. Um, today, um, to begin with, we just want to um, take a moment to reflect on the sanctity of life. As you can see by um, this behind me, most churches around the nation today will be recognizing today and remembering the sanctity of life. So I thought it would be a good idea for us just to take a moment and bow and a moment of silence and then I'll um, pray In regards to this matter, Father God, we just affirm with you that all people are created by you. They are endowed with your dignity and worth. They are created by your choice and in your image and for your glory. And we pray that this land, this nation, would be a home where all human beings would be welcomed in life and protected. Father, you are the true king of this world, as we'll talk about today. And Lord, we just ask that you would stretch out your hand and permeate this culture with your love and with the value of life. Father, we just take a moment to pray for those that may have made a choice um, sometime in the past that they regret today. And Lord, we just ask that you would help remove um, guilt that they might be still dealing with, Lord. We just pray for that, that you would bring healing to them. Father, we pray for those that may be making that decision today or this week Father I would just ask that your spirit would speak to them and Lord bring people around them and bring life to their to their life Lord God so that they would choose life rather than death Father we pray for the church we pray that we would not just stand by and Just be observance of what's going on. I pray that you would put it within our hearts to reach out, to figure out ways that we could support and make it um, an easier decision for life. So we ask for these things today, Lord, not only for today, but in the days ahead. Lord, we just pray that your kingdom comes and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this, uh, this week we're continuing our series on the book of Mark. I think this is week four. Anybody been here for all four weeks? Ah, we got a few. That's great. We'll keep it up, see if you'll have perfect attendance. I think we'll be in Mark for about three uh, months or so. But uh, last week we looked at actually the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and we looked at his baptism and also his temptation, and so this week we're going to continue on looking at Mark, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20, and I thought we would do something a little bit different today. I thought we would do a responsive reading to do our, our passage this morning. So what I, some of you might be familiar with that. Some of you might say, what are you talking about? But uh, what we're going to do, if you would stand with me, we're going to um, read this passage. I'll read what's not underlined, and you'll read what's underlined. So if you could stand up. And we'll do this um, together. So I'll, again, I'll read what's not underlined and you can read what is underlined. This is our passage for today from Mark. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And they left their nets at once and followed him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, and we ask that as we look at this scripture, that you would speak to our hearts, um, Lord, and make it applicable to us. Um, Lord, may your spirit um, speak strongly to us um, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well when Jesus came announcing this kingdom of God, he was announcing it to a group of individuals, to an audience that was kind of familiar with a kingdom and a king. Um, In fact, they were familiar with a king and actually the king that they were familiar with went by the name of the king of the Jews. Anybody know who that was? It was Herod the Great. So Herod the Great was known as the King of the Jews. The Roman Senate actually named him King of the Jews in 40 B.C. And Herod the Great's family is history is kind of interesting. He was born south of Judea. His father was an Edomite and his mother was Jewish. His descendants... Um, were converted to Judaism, and Herod the Great was actually raised as a Jew. And when he became the king of the Jews, he was responsible for rebuilding and enlarging the second Jewish temple. Um, And although the Sadducees and Pharisees of the time didn't agree with everything that he decided about that temple, Um, Herod the Great was still responsible for it. And Herod the Great rose to power largely through his father's good relationship with the Roman general and dictator Julius Caesar who actually gave his father and entrusted his father with the public affairs of Judea. And Herod the Great enjoyed the backing of Rome but the Sanhedrin, which was the official Jewish legal council, condemned his brutality um, because he had a lot of his own family members executed. And Josephus, the historian, emphasized his tyrannical authority that included suppressing the contempt of his people, especially the Jews. And he sought to prohibit protest and had opponents removed by force. He was said to have had a bodyguard made up of over 2,000 soldiers. By the time his reign was over, there was much dissatisfaction and anger among the Jews. And after the death of Herod the Great, which was in 4 BC, Augustus, Went ahead and confirmed what he wanted, Herod the Great wanted, which was to divide up his kingdom. And one of his sons, Herod Antipas, um, took over one quarter of his territory, which included Galilee and also Perea. Now, He wasn't the son that was supposed to get that. There were a couple sons before, but two of them were executed. And one of them was charged with attempting to poison Herod the Great. So it fell on Herod Antipas to take over. And we shouldn't be surprised that brutality, executions, and the abuse of power continued after Herod the Great and continued with Herod Antipas as evidenced by the beheading of John the Baptist and having that head put on a platter given to his daughter who then gave it to her mother. So Jesus enters the scene with this as the background. An audience that was familiar with a kingdom with a king that ruled over a territory with boundaries, that ruled by tyrannical authority, and that expanded through the construction of physical buildings. And this is the audience. Jesus appears and announces another kingdom that we will look at this morning. And that kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And it's upside-down for a number of reasons, and we'll look at those reasons this morning. And they're really dealing with the king's speech, the king's people, and the king's rule. And when we're talking about the king, we're talking about Jesus. So what do we learn from the king's speech about this upside-down kingdom? Well, we know that he introduces the kingdom of God, and that it's upside down to the audience. And this, the reason it was upside down, is because it didn't consist of territory with boundaries or enlarging it through, in, you know, expanding buildings. Instead, it was an unseen kingdom. It was an invasive kingdom. It was somewhat unpredictable but yet powerful. Mark 4.26 says, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. Each step Jesus took, each person Jesus touched, expanded that kingdom. In Luke, it is recorded that Jesus said, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. You see, the kingdom of God is the rule of God in our lives, and the power and the presence of God in our lives. And this was good news. It was good news for the audience then, and it's good news for us today that there actually is a king who is good, who is righteous, who is not tyrannical, who offers peace, love, and joy. And because he is good, his rule is a blessing to his subjects. Just imagine what it would be like if all of our government officials were good. How different our lives may be. That they weren't full of power hungry, selfish ambition, concealed files, whatever. It would be great. Not only is he good, and because of that, his rule is a blessing. But because he's righteous, his rule is also a threat to his enemies. And it is a threat to his enemies because their unrighteousness will not prevail. God's kingdom of righteousness will prevail over all oppression, evil, and spiritual darkness. And it starts with prevailing when Jesus appears on the scenes and begins to heal people of their broken bodies and freeing them of demonic powers. It continues to prevail as people follow him and he works liberation in their lives. And it will eventually completely prevail over all evil and over all enemies when he returns again. Well, not only is this kingdom upside down, but the entrance into this kingdom is also upside down. It is opposite of what we normally find. It is not forced. It is not obligated. It doesn't require payment. No work is required. Rather, it's based on your attitude and your belief. Jesus says, Repent of your sins and believe. And then in the simplest terms, to repent from your sins is to make an attitude adjustment from putting yourself on the throne to putting God on the throne of your life. We all have a tendency to kind of build our own kingdom with our own interests and desires over those that God may have for us. And it's at that time where we need to turn from building our own kingdom and go to God's kingdom. The second part of the requirement is to believe, which just basically means what Mark is trying to show throughout the whole book is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so we're called to believe in who Jesus says he is. So this upside-down kingdom with its entrance requirements was good news for those that heard it, and it should be good news for us today. The king's people is also a little bit upside-down. What do we normally find surrounding a king? Probably the best of the best, right? King Herod had Herod the Great had over 2,000 soldiers, around him. I'm sure those soldiers were very well trained. They were the best of the best, probably the strongest that could be found. King Herod surrounded himself with that. He had other leaders that I'm sure were no different. Only the most intelligent, strongest, wisest, and respected men and women would be around him in his inner circle in order for that kingdom to be successful. And yet, we find the exact opposite surrounding King Jesus. These guys aren't who would you expect to be part of a core team. They were smelly, dirty, lowly fishermen. They were just ordinary guys with Ordinary jobs. Kind of reminds me really of the campus pastors at Alpine. <laughs> they're, they're a bunch of ordinary guys. You got a guy here that was in the window covering business. You have an ex-police officer. You have a financial advisor. You have somebody that worked at Walmart. You have somebody that worked in the restaurant business. All ordinary guys that God is using. The guys that Jesus chose were not only ordinary, but they didn't even have the soft skills, the social skills needed to be successful. They really, hopefully, our Alpine pastors do. But these guys really didn't even have that. I used to be um, formerly, I spent some time being the center director at Clearfield Job Corps that um, works with youth, 16 to 24, to teach them a trade. And we usually had them for the average of about a year. But during that period of time, the biggest issue was teaching them those soft skills. I mean, we could teach them the trade, and they could go out and get the job, but they'd usually potentially lose the job because they didn't pick up on the social skills. And if we take a quick look at some of the passages in Mark about Simon and Andrew and James and, and John, we'd find that they, they really needed those three years of training with Jesus in order to turn them from prideful, arrogant, oblivious people to confident, humble, servant followers. Do you remember Jesus even called James and John sons of thunder? Do you remember why he called them sons of thunder? Uh, Well, it's because they were a little aggressive they were a little short on those soft skills. They wanted to have God burn fire down on people in a village in Samaria. I wouldn't call that really good social skills. But that's where they were. So these were ordinary people, needed help with their social skills. And then they, they really didn't even know how to do the job that Jesus was asking them to do. Jesus asked them to be fishers of men and Jesus had to train them to be fishers of men. He had to give them the tools. He had to give them the resources in order for them to be successful in that profession. Jesus knew that these guys were going to fail. That some of them would even desert him. But he didn't stop from using them, even with their faults. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 kind of gives us an understanding of this upside-down selection of this core team and everybody that is invited into this kingdom. It says this, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, That few of you are wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. These disciples, their ordinary status proves that God is the one that should get the glory. And it is not self-proclaimed, brilliant leaders who are the ones that make the kingdom work. It's ordinary individuals. It's individuals that aren't perfect that lack skills, that have to be taught, that are just ordinary people, just like you and me. Those are the ones Jesus is interested in having in his kingdom. Well, the last upside-down piece of this kingdom is the kingdom's rule. And it is true that we are to surrender to the king and to his rule in our lives, and that involves leaving our nets behind. And we're going to take a moment to talk about that, just a moment, but first I want to talk about what's really upside down about this king's rule. And what's really upside down about it is that He lays down his net first. What king does that? And not only did he lay down his net, he laid down his net twice. He throws down his his net and takes on the nature of a servant by becoming and being made in the human likeness of us. God with us. And then he again throws down his net and he humbles himself and sacrifices his life for his subjects. What king does that? No king does that except Jesus. This king gives his life for you and I so that we can enter his kingdom now and forever. That's the type of king we serve. And although at the time that he's recruiting his disciples, he had yet to carry out that second part of throwing down his net, they responded to him. And it says, And they left their nets at once and followed him. So when they left their nets, they left their livelihood. They left their profession. That's what it meant to them. We move on and it says, he called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So James and John probably had a business. It was their business. They had hired men that worked for them and they left it not only did they leave their business, but they left the father immediately at once. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, where the boots hit the ground. Surrendering to the king's rule in our lives means answering the call to follow. It may mean that you have to look at your profession, your bank account, your relationships, your plans. Nothing can stand in the way of following him. And whatever it is, you must be willing to leave it behind. Or, maybe in your situation, it's not leaving something behind, but it's staying with where you're at and who you are in your profession, in your relationships, etc. The one thing that we know is that following Jesus means that we'll never be the same again. That we'll be gripped with a larger purpose, a larger calling, a fulfillment of meaning to our existence. Jesus says, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And again, Jesus is not asking us to do something that he didn't do himself. Our king is our example. He leads by example. Mark 10, 42 says, you know that those recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised dominion over them. But it is not so among you, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. King Jesus is not interested in lording it over you, he's not about doing power plays. He is the king you can trust. In fact, he says that his load is light and that he came so that you might have life and might have life more abundant, that you may experience peace, joy, and love and live in that. And when we trust someone, we usually can... We have no issue following them, right? I mean, when you really trust somebody, you can follow them. The issue sometimes is that sometimes we think we know better, just like every kid thinks they know better than their parents. At some point, we think we know better than our king. And we want to be independent, and we want to do our own thing, which you can do. You can do that, and you can have independence, but it will be at the sake of your freedom. Jesus doesn't force you to follow him. He invites you to follow him and enter into his kingdom where you can find true fulfillment and where you can find true freedom. Second Timothy says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When we try to hang on to our nets and not let go, we usually end up getting entangled, held captive, caught up. You know, we can't ignore why the king asked these fishermen to follow him. It clearly states that the reason he called them was to make them fishers of men. The mission was very clear about their purpose in this kingdom, and that was to bring others and to spread that kingdom to others, not by hostile takeover, but by loving them, by serving them, by coming alongside them, and introducing them to that kingdom. Our challenge is that we really can't say that we're following Jesus if we're not carrying out his mission. We too should be fishers of men. We too should be introducing people to this kingdom, to a life of freedom. And we do that by helping them pursue God, by helping them to trust in Jesus and to honor God and to invite other people into this kingdom. It's so easy for us in our lives, everyday lives, to go up to somebody and say, hey, you've got to check out this restaurant. Hey, you've got to go show, see this show. Hey, you got to go see Dallas lose. (laughs) Whatever. It's easy for us to do that. It should just be as easy to say, hey, come see this true freedom that you can have. We should be excited about it. While Jesus came announcing an upside down kingdom, completely opposite of what we would expect from a kingdom. One that has no boundaries, one that you don't have to work for, one that you don't have to be the head of the class to be able to be part of. But one thing we are required to do, and that is to follow our king's example. And that example, is to let go of your net enter into his kingdom where you can find true freedom and true purpose in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you um, for your word. Uh, We thank you for laying down your net for us. not once by coming, giving up all of your rights, but also by sacrifice and laying down your life so that we might have life, so that we might find freedom in this kingdom. Thank you that you use ordinary people just like us, and I pray that we would be receptive to that. I pray that we would hear your call, we would follow, and that we would lay down our nets and find our true purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.